today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Michael Tobe. Lots of things to talk to him about. I'm not sure we're going to get it all. Uh, get to it all. Michael Tobe with us, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He is with us now. Michael, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am indeed, Scott. Hope you are too. All right, I just saw this headline, so I want to throw this at you right off the top. Uh, the federal government to carry out environmental assessment of the proposed Highway 413. Uh, this is a proposed 60K uh, section of highway up around Vaughan, north of the 407, uh, I understand. Uh, your thoughts on a federal uh, government as- environmental assessment on this, and what is it about this country we do not want to build any more infrastructure? Uh, the U.S. is talking about it, and Biden specifically he didn't say social infrastructure he says ridge, uh, bridges roads and things that need to get people from point a to point b i remember dalton mcginty saying a hundred years ago i'm not interested in building any more highways and we know he certainly didn't uh how do you get out to the great outdoors without a road where are we supposed to drive all these evs once they're built yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I've never understood that theory myself because that's really one of the main responsibilities of government is to deal with roads, highways, and so forth. I was always understood for them. The problem has been is that most levels of government overstep their reach or overstep their constitutional jurisdiction, as we've seen with various things from Section 91 to 92 of the Constitution Act to the way that the federal government has moved into municipal affairs, whereas at one point that was really the regime and a realm of, yes, city governments, and the fact that the province gets involved in issues that, again, like I said with the Constitution Act, don't necessarily include it. Um, for that reason, it's a little puzzling that governments have always been sort of pushing back against that, although you see it more in Ontario, I find, than other provinces, but I do remember Dalton McGinty's line. I haven't thought of it in a long time, to be honest with you, but I do remember it now that you brought it up. And I, I thought it was unusual at the time, too, especially because, by nature, liberals on the political left like to get involved in the state, like to use taxpayer monies for certain projects, and building a highway, which actually helps people transport themselves back and forth, and also aids with truck traffic, which, as we know from other cities like Windsor, for example, and London, are major issues you would think you would want more of that. But I guess the interesting thing is, as you said, there's going to be a federal environmental assessment. God knows what that's going to involve. God knows how long it's going to delay things, because as we know, when they do it with gas stations and other things, they always find issues when they're trying to construct something. It could be a building. It could be a road. It could be a highway. So I don't understand why there's been this hesitation. Maybe it's a good thing that at least they're proposing it, but based on the fact that there is this environmental assessment, let's see how long it takes before they actually put the shovels in the ground. Do city dwellers get out? Um, Because, again, kudos to all those, and I've got lots of friends that live in the inner city of Toronto. Uh, They'll get on a streetcar, get on their bike, and go to work because they're privileged enough to live in the same city that they they, uh, work in. Uh, Unfortunately, I've been in the media business for 36 years, and that's pretty much impossible because we move around a lot. Um, But, you know, it seems that those that are that are bicycling back and forth don't understand that life goes on beyond those 20 minutes outside their border. Um, How, how does anybody in the inner city get out (laughs) if there's no infrastructure there? That's an interesting question. The way you phrased it, I think it depends on the person or depends on the family, because obviously there are some people who live in larger cities. I mean, I would certainly qualify 
And I like to get out and see different parts of the province or different parts of the country or outside of our own city. You know, Toronto is, is a nice city. It's a great city in many ways, but it's not the be-all and end-all of this province or this country. There's a lot out there to discover, and you would hope that others would do so too. Unfortunately, you know, using Toronto as an example, there are some people who sit right in the heart of Toronto and, you know, venture out only infrequently, either to visit friends or family, and they're out of there pretty fast. Or in other cases, they just don't do it very often. So if the question is, how do people get out and how should more get out? I would think that natural curiosity or inherent curiosity of humanity would want to propel you or would want you to be provoked to go do something else, to go have a different experience, to see how other people live, to see what they create, different restaurants, different art galleries, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter what you do. It's just to go out and explore and discover. I mean, I hope things like this, when you build, for example, extensions to highways, it at least encourages some people who live close to it that they might be able to get on the road and find something new. But if that inherent curiosity doesn't exist in the person or that family unit, I don't know if necessarily things like this create something new. You hope so, but it doesn't necessarily work that way. Well, the first thing you hear is how this highway is going to cut across farmland or greenbelt or forest or rock faces or streams. That's what life is outside central uh, Toronto. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the way it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you want another green belt, go on the other side of the highway. There is no shortage of green in this country. No, there isn't. But unfortunately, as you and I both know, based on other projects that have happened, not specifically this highway. And I have to be honest with you when you brought up, I haven't seen the press release, so I don't know what it cuts necessarily into or what would frustrate environmentalists or environmental groups. Although, like you said, there'll be sure to be one thing or several things that'll do it. Um, But you're right. That is part of the process of developing a city or developing territory or moving people into other parts of the the province, the country, etc. If you want to get out of the urban part and go into the suburbs, the rural areas, etc., you have to learn, you have to discover, and you have to build. So, yes, if environmental groups are going to protest because it cuts into certain things that, like what you said, then you're right. It's going to take years for that project to get going. And who knows how, you know, what will actually be done and what the final product will look like. But I agree that if you're going to if you're going to be a productive society and you're going to keep moving forward and you're going to keep discovering things or you're going to bring other communities into the 21st century, so to speak, you have to get around some of these issues and concerns or figure out ways to compromise if it cuts into, say, wetlands or something of that nature. Try to negotiate and figure out a way to properly do it. But look, let's, let's be honest. Governments are now very used to this because many projects have either been stalled or basically completely eliminated because of problems with the environment. My guess is here, I think, assuming so, they probably know that there are going to be several struggles that will be involved with it. There's obviously going to be issues that have to be dealt with at the negotiating table. They may have to change the, the cr- structure or crafting of the highway as they currently design it right now in their minds. But I think in the end, ultimately, if we're going to move forward, that's the right way to do things. So when I hear of developments like a new highway or a new portion of a highway, I think that's actually a positive and productive thing. You're right. There's groups, individuals and groups who think quite the opposite. 
Well, everything you build is going to take out nature in some sort. Sure. Yeah. Unless you're building over something that's already been built. And and again, you know, I remember very vividly seeing Dalton McGinty say that statement. I'm not interested in building any more roads. And, you know, I, I, congratulations to him. It probably got him elected the next time. But yeah. at the end of the day, nothing's changed. I mean, I'm old enough to remember, oh, there's talk of high-speed lines between Windsor and Montreal and all, the, all that other crap. And none of that ever gets done. So yeah. uh, it, it's great that they don't build roads but there's nothing else replacing it do we just take a train to our campground do we take a train to cottage country do we take a (laughs) train anytime we want to go outside the city limits yeah i mean you're right that's what the alternative would be and no i don't think that makes a lot of sense you miss out a lot of things i mean if you go off the beaten path for example and when you're driving you can see a lot of interesting things that have either been developed lightly developed or not developed at all and, you know, you got obviously see more things associated with nature. You're absolutely right. But you don't get that if you take a train or if you take a plane or anything of the sort. You have to do it by car or by vehicle to actually see that. So you're right. No matter what they construct, it will interfere in some way with nature, the environment, or whatnot. It's just a question of whether they can get past any sort of hurdles or the typical butting of heads over a particular piece of land or some part that they want to, you know, that, that certain groups want to protect for whatever reason is involved. Again, I'd have to look at the schematic of this actual highway to sort of see what could potentially be a problem. Uh, so I'm just sort of flying blind on it, to be perfectly honest right now. But I have no doubt that something somewhere on this route will bother somebody. And then it's a question of whether they can actually just get past it. But you're right. If you don't do things like this, you're not going to discover certain parts of a city, a town, a village, or the province in general, if we're just going to use Ontario's example, without using a car or a motorcycle or a bike or something of that nature. So yes, you have to keep building in that direction, and you have to keep moving society that way and not state what Dalton McGinty said over 20 years ago to appeal to obviously a large proportion of his constituents and a large proportion of people who ultimately voted for him that he just wouldn't continue to build highways. That's not the answer. All right, let's talk about uh, what's happening with the Canadian military. Uh, one thing to have uh, issues, bet- uh, you know, in the rank and file. Another thing to it be for it to be a top dog. Uh, the Prime Minister saying he was not aware that the Jonathan Vance issue was a Me Too issue. How could you not be when <laughs> Katie Telford knew this? Uh, his yeah. chief of staff, obviously, uh, the Conservatives calling for her her to uh, to to step down. Uh, but again, we've got this self-proclaimed feminist government who go out of their way to sell the fact that they are feminist and yet are ordering another review of this when it was done just a few years ago. Um, Can the Prime Minister say he didn't know about this? You know, again, I I don't know if I've discussed it with you. I apologize because I know we talked about the military and I talked about it with other people on other radio shows. One of the things, though, unfortunately, with that is the biggest question that's come into play for, in my mind and in other minds, is how much information is funneled to this prime minister. You know, a prime minister by nature should know everything that's going on around him, or in the case of Campbell, briefly, her, meaning that they should know about issues like this. If the Liberal Party or the prime minister's office under Justin Trudeau, our current prime minister, is not funneling this important type of information or these sorts of controversies to the prime minister, it really makes you wonder what his leadership is all about and how much and really what sort of control he actually has as a leader. 
But again, we have to assume that right now, the way that they're talking is if they didn't know it was a Me Too movement or part of the Me Too movement or moment, then why didn't they know? It would have been obvious. There also comes into play the question, and I know I have discussed this with you, is the fact that Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan, according to testimony that was done at the Defense Committee or the discussions of the Defense Committee, that they're looking into the issues of sexual harassment, exploitation, etc., that's going on in Parliament, there was an accusation by the former military ombudsman, you know, Mr. Oldburn, who has no axe to grind whatsoever, not a political person, saying that in 2018 he actually carried information about one of the allegations facing General Vance right now. He basically had it on a piece of paper, took the piece of paper out of his pocket, and the minister refused to look at it. Now, it's fine that the minister refused to look at it, but from what I now understand, this information has not moved in the past three years. Mr. Sajin, for example, didn't tell the former military ombudsman to actually move this information to the proper law authorities, for example, or to others. Because if he had, I think it would have been brought up in his testimony, and nothing actually came that way. So for three years alone, Harjit Sajin may have known about this. There's also the fact that Mr. Sajin, during his own testimony, stated that he was not involved in any way, shape, or form with General Vance's uh, increase of salary, which occurred last year, and that was contradicted by another testimony later on at that committee, stating that, you know, whatever his direct or indirect involvement was, he would have been aware of that fact. When you have all these things together, you know, Scott, I, I think the real issue comes into play that why is this defense minister right now still sitting in the cabinet and holding this mm. role. Most people, whether they be conservatives or liberals or whatnot, if faced with something like this, would do one of two things, at least historically in Canadian politics. That minister would either temporarily step aside to clear his or her name, or that person would completely resign and not return to that position. Or, as a third possibility, the prime minister could have shuffled Mr. Sajjan already at this point to try to get some of the heat off him. Yet, all we see is that the defense minister continues to sit there, introduces, as you say, a committee to look into this issue that had already been looked at it beforehand several years ago, and it's almost like nothing has happened. The dark clouds of controversy, you know, my favorite line that I like to use, are following this minister everywhere, yet this prime minister, Justin Trudeau, just either doesn't seem to want to acknowledge it, admit it, or try to do something about it, when really I think the Canadian public is starting to realize as they see more and more of it, they are probably starting to wonder themselves, why hasn't he stepped aside or why hasn't he resigned yet? And that's only something he could answer. So here we have another scandal, uh, another promise of change, another review, even though one was just done under this government. Is this yep. all about pushing this off until after the next election? Without question. They're obviously trying to get rid of a bad issue. I think we can put it as simply as that, because I don't have to go on too long about it. And they're just hoping that by creating this investigation for a second time, that they're going to sort of push the media towards the investigation itself and less about the personalities involved. Harjit Sajjan, the defense minister, for one. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Katie Telfer, the prime minister's chief of staff, who I forgot to mention in the previous segment, she also apparently, according to testimony, supposedly knows all this. Now, these are all allegations. We have to walk on eggshells right now because nothing has been proven. But there's so much out there right now 
that, yes, of course, the liberals created this committee to take some of the heat off their their leader, minister and senior staff member, because it gets frustrating after a period of time. Will it work? I don't know. Uh, what about the comments in the self-proclaimed feminist uh, prime minister? I mean, he's drawn a lot of attention to himself by constantly selling that he is a feminist. The deputy prime minister, same thing. This is a feminist budget. Everything's feminist or climate change. How, are people are, is they, are people getting this? Are they seeing this here? Are they seeing the hypocrisy here? Well, they should have already for years, and we don't have to go through the whole laundry list. There have been so many things that Justin Trudeau has done by the relations he's had with former female cabinet ministers and staffers. I mean, you know, I mean, Jody Wilson-Raybould is one of the classic examples right there. Selena Cesar Chavanez, who is no longer there, he's had bad relations, associations, negotiations, whatever you want to call it. He's had some bad moments with a lot of mostly female MPs in the Liberal caucus. We know about the issue or the allegation from back, interestingly, you mentioned 1999 earlier, also from 1999, that allegation against the Prime Minister of of an incident that may have occurred in Kokanee, B.C., which still comes up from time to time, but again, has never been proven one way or the other, but sort of looms around. Plus, as well, we remember there was a pushing incident that his prime minister also engaged in several years ago, just before he became prime minister, when he was, oh, sorry, pardon me, when he just after he became prime minister to try and get some of his members to vote on a bill. So he pushed aside um, an NDP MP who happened to be a woman. So there's just a whole bunch of things when you put it all together, and there's more that show that this prime minister may claim to be a progressive feminist and may claim to champion feminist causes, whether it's for the rewriting of NAFTA all the way to, as you said, this budget. But again, the proof is in the pudding. If if Justin Trudeau may believe that he's a feminist, he may feel in his gut that he's a feminist, but if that's the case, he certainly hasn't acted like one. So you would think Canadians would be aware of this by now. What's going to have with the chief? Uh, what's going to happen with the chief of staff issue and Katie Telford and such? Will that disappear? Should, is a replacement coming? You know, in fairness, I don't think that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is going to get ever get rid of Katie Telford. I think Katie Telford will eventually step down on her own volition. I don't think it's going to be over an issue like this. Whether she does or does not deserve to leave over this is still obviously a matter of dispute. We don't know exactly whether the allegation against her is valid. If it is, well, there's an argument to be made that she should leave. But if it's not true, then the question is, why was she tagged into this discussion in the first place? But do I think anything's going to necessarily come of her? No. I I think, though, for what we're seeing right now with General Vance, Admiral McDonald, and the whole discussion about the Canadian military and sexual harassment, Someone is eventually going to have to leave, and it's going to have to be someone senior. It's not going to be the prime minister. We know that. I strongly doubt it's going to be his chief of staff. However, the defense minister is certainly left open, and there's lots of other senior liberals who probably had anywhere from small to large roles in this matter. They haven't been revealed as of yet. Maybe the investigation will. But someone, you know, the proverbial bus is going to roll over someone, as they say. It's just a question of who. Michael Tobe with us. Troy, media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. My pleasure. Take care. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, sports columnist with your Hamilton Spectator, uh, Mike Weir wins this weekend on the PGA Tour, and uh, Scott Radley is with us now. Scott, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Doing great, Scott. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you making out uh, during week number 59? Well, let's see. Um, you know, sometimes people would ask this inappropriately, but I would say, Scott, what are you wearing? Because I'm wearing the same thing I've now worn, I think, for 59 straight weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's changes. I wash it. But, you know, the, the, the flat pants and the uh, the ratty T-shirt with a with a something over top. It's getting a little repetitive. Yeah, uh, nothing like a fresh uh, set of track pants to start the day off with a smile, right? <laughs> All right. Like, as long as you change the underwear every day, whatever else happens, I guess is uh, is fair game at this point. Yes, I have uh, a university sweatshirt, which my daughter bought me for Christmas, <laughs> and I think I've been wearing it continuously, and she says basically the same thing. Are you, uh, you got a few of those? What's going on there? <laughs> if, anyway. if Scott Thompson or Scott Radley was ever to be wanted by the police at this point, even with seeing us, I'm guessing they could identify what we were wearing if we were on the lam. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, never mind. All right. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't usually my wife has some of this on throughout the course of the uh, weekend. We're fighting between that and racing uh, and, and all that sort of thing. Um, but but, you know, I, I think uh, hearing Mike Weir's name was one thing, but then uh, hearing who he was playing was quite another as well. Uh, your thoughts on him winning this uh, this uh, this tournament and. And, and who he was playing against, meaning daily. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's the seniors tour, which is you know, look, it's, it's a win is a win, and there's yeah. a reason they have seniors tour because you know you and many people listening, and I certainly uh, I don't play a lot. I don't know how much you play, how much people listening play, obviously, but our bodies are not quite as pliable and flexible and posty and capable of doing the things in golf. When you watch these, you know, young guys who can now you know, swirl from their core and everything else. And I try to do it and it's like, okay, I'm going to feel that tomorrow. Um, I mean, it's a different game. It's golf. I know people say, well, it's just golf. Well, it is, but modern golf, the way they hit the ball is it's so much legs and core and everything else. And, and you just, you lose some of that flexibility as you age. So it's, um, you know, for, it, it's a seniors thing that he won, but it doesn't matter. And the reason is this, did we not all essentially think over the past five, six, seven, eight, nine years that Mike Weir was done and gone? And we really, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see him show up at Canadian opens every year because they'll invite him and we'll see him show up at the masters every year because he has a standing invitation as a former champion, but pretty much that's it. I did. I did. He was done. He was, yeah. he, he was irrelevant as a golfer, as far as being competitive. And so, you know, for him to put it together again and, and make it work, I mean, it was, it was terrific. It's fantastic that, you know, he is not just participant ribbon number seven now. I mean, he's a guy who, in, in, at this level, he can now be a player. So uh, why a senior tour? Because, again, you know, we thought, oh, this is interesting. And then, you know, my wife goes, oh, my God, look at John Daly. Um, why even have a tour, and, and why the interest in this senior tour? What does it say about the other tour? Well, I mean, the reason is, as I was saying, it's just because, you know, it's, it's, it's not a reasonable 
it's not reasonable for these older guys, and I mean older, being 50, um, you know, to, for in the most in most cases, I mean, Phil Mickelson can still be competitive at times, but most of them is just, you get to the point where you can't hit it like the young guys with yeah. their flexibility. As for the why is their interest, this is a really interesting one, because, you know, baseball, once upon a time, tried some old-timer stuff, and it doesn't really work, A, because they're fat, and B, because they've blown out their arms and they can't really throw and they can't run. I mean, nobody, wants, nobody wants to watch 55-year-old former baseball players play. Uh, old-timers hockey, if you've ever gone to an old-timers game, you're not going there to watch the game. You're yeah. going there just to see the kid or the person you grew up watching as a kid who was your hero in real life now look slow and lumbering, and, and nobody tries. Um, you know, we're seeing now a return, weirdly, of all the sports that we're seeing a return of old-timers, it's boxing, which I find, with Mike Tyson now. That's and bizarre. Which I find bizarre, that of all the sports that you would think the guys don't want to come back and get into again, I would think being punched in the face would be high on the list, but, you know, apparently you can't get away from that. But golf... And, and apparently we haven't learned anything from Muhammad Ali, so... Well, here's the thing, though, is that the weirdest thing about the boxing is that it's kind of taking the role of old-timers hockey. Is I mean, we saw Mike Tyson fight um, uh, Roy Jones Jr. about, I don't know, months ago. Mike Tyson wasn't out there to be really Mike Tyson. He wasn't looking to really knock Roy Jones Jr.'s head off. Um, it, was, it was something else. And so there was a curiosity, and I think that... In some ways, that's kind of what old-timers golf is, but it's different. It's not, like, it's a curiosity in the sense that we we want to see what they can still do. But I, I think it's mostly that we, we grew up, I mean, if you're a golf fan, you grew up watching these guys. And as I said a moment ago, they were your heroes. They were the ones you were cheering for. And you know what? They've still got the competitive juices. They just can't do it quite the same. And golf is the one thing that, kind of lends itself that yeah that's, it's not at the yeah. same level but you can still kind of compete well that and that's the point that i was just going to make is that you know you, you talk about tyson or whatever they should be swinging pillows and pool noodles at each other <laughs> not not this uh but golf is an older sport it's something that as people get older they often improve in obviously you're not going to hit it as far as you used to all of those things we know uh, the body ages and you, you just can't perform uh to the same standards but it is a sport that a lot of seniors play anyway so uh to me that's way different than you know seeing uh old time hockey or or baseball or or even of that because it those are those are simply fast young sports golf's not so much no and you don't have the cardio involvement you don't have just the pure muscle strength uh those aren't yeah. requisites in this so as you age you can still play and as long as you're playing with your contemporaries it can still be interesting now let's be clear Old-timers, seniors tour golf does not draw anywhere near the ratings or audiences of no. PGA Tour golf. But it's there because there is still an audience to see how these guys can see how these guys can play. And the other thing, Scott, I think for a lot of people, you've probably been to a P. You've probably been to the Canadian Open when it's here. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. you know, and you watch these guys. And if you golf even a little bit, you watch these guys, and they make it look so easy. And at the same yeah. time, you realize I could never do that. Old-timers golfers still make it look pretty easy but it's a little more like the average person playing golf at this point because they're not quite as pliable and flexible they're a little stiffer 
And it's a little more like, hey, that's kind of like how I play a little bit. Not as well, but that, I, that looks a lot more like me. Oh, well, you know, maybe walking to and from the cart looks a bit like uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but no, you know, talking about that? watching the Canadian Open, I'll never forget the first time I stood there and watched the first tee and watched them tee off. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. you know, it, it's like the crowds are all the way down the fairway. And it's like you're you're trying to drive a ball down a bowling alley. And, you know, how that doesn't intimidate you, you know, to take out a few spectators, I, I don't know what does. That it, It's incredible to see, you know, the precision that they play with. Um, so that being said, since... story about that, just if I can, really funny, because yep. a couple times ago that the Canadian Open was in Ancaster at Hamilton Golf and Country Club, every, every time they have a tournament, they have the Pro-Am. And so yep. you get these businessmen who are going to pay, like, 6000 bucks to play around with one of the pros one of the days before the tournament starts. And it always seems like a really good idea for these guys <laughs> yeah. until they get onto the first tee and the yeah. announcers are now on the tee block and they announce yeah. the name and there's all these crowds. And it, I've talked to, I talked to a bunch of, I wrote about it a while ago. There was one guy who he almost wet his pants when he got yeah. up there because he was so scared. And then he hits the ball and it doesn't make it to the ladies tee. Yeah. And now he's just about you know, clenching and he runs up and tries to hit it again and duck hooks it almost a fairway over and he's sprinting <laughs> to get away from the people because he's just mortified. And uh, you know, that you realize in any sport when you put an average Joe with the pros, that's when you realize how good yeah. they really are. The pros, not the Joes. Uh on that note, should golf courses be open now? Yes. Yeah. Why not? I mean it, it, I'm not I'm still not entirely sure why they're not. Um, especially since I had to go uh, on Saturday over to Costco to get something that but my, it was my daughter's birthday, and I went to pick up a, a cake over there for her birthday that she wanted. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of people yeah. in Costco, and I'm thinking, wait a second, if I can be in here, why could I not be on a golf course? Yeah. That was that. That's to me. That's the you know that, that's the one real thing. If you if you can be in an enclosed large building with a lot of other people. How is it more safe than being outdoors far apart from other people? Because Costco's a necessity, Scott. Well, that that birthday cake was, let me tell you. <laughs> you know what I think it is, to be totally honest? Uh, I think golf courses could easily open as well. But if you have people that are shut down and there's other people, it's like it's like asking us to shut down and stay at home while there's planes flying overhead. I mean, political uh, element. There's no. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's. And and, and, you know, I think there's a lot of people standing there. Well, how come those people get to go play golf and I can't do this? So I think that's just what it's become. Well, remember back when this when the first lockdown started, people were ripping the premier because his rich friends were out playing golf. Exactly. If you say, okay, the golf courses can't open, you get the people saying, well, why? You're being an idiot. Why can't the golf courses be open? And you open them and you say, you're only opening them so your rich friends can play golf. Exactly. He's he's screwed either way. I think he's made the wrong decision on which way to be screwed, but he is. I mean, either way, he's going to get criticized. So, you know, he can't win. It amazes me that uh, at this stage of the game, it's become what it has. I mean, I think people are just so fatigued that, uh, here, you know, the, I guess the hope here is that the vaccines are coming in and, and hopefully by summer we'll have this behind us because I, I think people have just plumb right out of patience. Oh, and Scott, we talked about this on, on my show on Friday night. The, the pandemic, this has become as much, well, not as much, but in some ways this is a medical story 
that is also a political pandemic. Because yeah. there is, if you support politician X, everything that he or she and their party has done is okay and explainable. And those on the opposite side in another yeah. party, they're idiots. Yeah. And and we have no we're no longer capable of looking at things without injecting the prism and the scope of politics into this. If you think Doug Ford is great, Justin Trudeau is a giant idiot. If you think Justin Trudeau is great, Doug Ford is a giant idiot. Yeah, and, and we, it's extremes. It's one extreme or the other. I mean, there is no happy medium. There is no center anymore. It's it's, it's it's the it's the extremes. The extreme right or the extreme left. I hate it. It is. It's a political thing. And there's show me the one thing that's going on now in the entire COVID scenario that is not driven by politics and partisanship. Everything now is your view on anything, almost everybody, I would say 90 percent or more of people, your view on what's going on is entirely founded and formed on a partisan lens. And that will determine who is at fault, who's to blame, who's doing everything right, who can be excused. And it, that doesn't get us anywhere, but that's reality. Yep. Uh, I'll meet you in the center. Uh, Scott Radley uh, is with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, sports columnist for your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You as well, Scott. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.